Hi, I'm Mona Chattel, and you're listening to On the Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. Today, we are covering an extremely important topic, the COVID-19 crisis in India. It is heartbreaking news coming from around the world, and we wanted to bring you an expert who can help us understand the situation. Today, we welcome Dr. Nancy Reynolds, Associate Dean of Global Affairs at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. She is also a director of the Center for Global Initiatives, co-director of the WHO Collaborating Center for Nursing Information Knowledge Management, and co-secretary general of the Global Network of the WHO Collaborating Centers for Nursing and Midwifery. Dr. Reynolds is a researcher in the field of chronic illness, self-management, especially HIV, and has worked in Ghana and India to improve medication adherence and mental health outcomes of women and children living with HIV. We're so happy to have you here with us today, Nancy. Oh, thank you so much, Mona. It's a pleasure to be here. We've all seen the news that things are looking really grim in India in terms of the COVID-19 crisis. Can you start by orienting us to what the COVID-19 crisis looks like right now in India? Uh, And we are recording this in mid-May of 2021. Sure, yeah, it is a concerning situation indeed. And as we speak, it's estimated that there are over 25 million persons infected there with with around 280,000 deaths that have been recorded and about 4,000 deaths a day. And even though these figures seem high, it's estimated that 98% of India's population of 1.3 billion still remains susceptible to the virus. Um, The official count shows that new infections are slightly subsiding but there are really fears that the new highly infectious variant B1617, which was first found in India, is really running quite out of control and that many cases are going unreported actually due to a lack of testing there. Also, many think that the death toll is grossly underestimated as the crematoriums indicate that there may be as many as four times the number of officially reported deaths. It's a fact just that, you know, many people are dying without being tested or maybe even having had access to any kind of health care. And as you've probably seen on the news, we're seeing that hospitals have run out of beds and that there's a lack of basic treatment in many facilities, even including basic things like oxygen. The vaccine drive there has been struggling. And this really has you know, worrisome implications, not just for India, but for the surrounding countries and ultimately for countries all around the globe. You know, India is home to the world's largest vaccine industry. And until remarkably recently, it was only recording a very modest number of COVID cases. And India has really been very central to international plans to inoculate developing countries uh, by churning out low cost doses. Um, But now 
this has largely been put on hold and the uh, vaccine that is being produced is largely being held for domestic purposes within India. So this is very concerning. But now, is, isn't it true that India in the beginning of the pandemic, they were doing quite well? And the, yeah. So how, how did, what happened? How did, how did they get in this shape? I know, and this is what's really interesting because in some ways the picture we're seeing here now is what people worried about initially with the first wave mm -hmm. in India. And then it was like, wow, why aren't people getting more infected in India? Because it's such a populous country and people right. you know, live closely, multiple families live in close space. So people really were expecting this initially. So people were wondering, oh, do people have some sort of resistance to the virus? Why is this happening? So I think in a way there was some, got to be some complacency mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And um, and now you know um, I think it sort of things opened up and there really hasn't been any restriction on travel there. And in the month of April there were a lot of election rallies held for upcoming elections. Mm -hmm. People weren't social distancing. Right. And also there's a annual pilgrimage, religious pilgrimage. So a lot of people were traveling to that. And so this kind of fueled this latest fire and we're seeing this surge. But it's interesting, an article just came out in Nature magazine um, a week or two ago, which said scientists really don't understand the phenomenon in interesting. India. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. You talked a little bit about the um, sort of the, the history of um, vaccines in India. What about the healthcare infrastructure? Um, what can you tell us? I know you've worked in India before. What can you tell us about the healthcare? Yeah, and I will say, you know, I've been doing work in India since about 2007, and I've seen a lot of changes. And the, the picture, though, that you see in India now is in some ways it has some of the most sophisticated, beautiful, gleaming hospitals in urban settings that, in fact, attract um, tourists who come there to get, you know, surgery and other mm -hmm. treatments. But on the other hand, then you have a lot of the population living in settings and rural settings where they have access to very minimal amount of care, actually. So it's very uneven. And of course, we see that in, in lots of countries, but mm -hmm. in some ways it may even be um, accentuated in India. And I always think about sort of these, these five A's of having a strong uh, healthcare system of, well, people being aware of what they're at risk for, having good access, um, having a strong uh, workforce, healthcare being affordable, and then you know having good accountability and safety. And I would say for a lot of the population right now in India, you're really seeing a lack of access to care. You're seeing these images on the news where people are having to shop around and a family member becomes acutely ill with COVID and they're trying to get a hospital bed and they're not able to. But this is even accentuated in the rural area where they may not even be near hospitals to seek care. And like all over the world, there's a shortage of nurses and uh, healthcare providers. And another real concern is, um, it might be affordability, but also the quality of the care that people are accessing. So right now there's a real dearth of 
well-established treatments that we have discovered in countries like the US and other countries, because we've been dealing with this for many months, treatments that we know have a good evidence base, but because they're not widely available, a lot of providers are turning to really treatments that may not have a good evidence base behind them. So there's concern about, you know, the, the safety and the potential, you know, effectiveness of some of the treatments that are being provided in the lower access areas, especially. What, what do you think some um, solutions that, that would be uh, perhaps better? What, 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 should be, what should we or others be looking at? Well, you know, I think a, making, uh, dealing with it a priority. And I think mm -hmm. <laughs> I've sort of learned that in the U.S. Right. We look the other way, it doesn't necessarily go away. Right. Um, you know, and I think we see this over and over again. It's not with Ebola and with other things that we really need to be playing much more emphasis on prevention of infectious diseases as well as other illnesses. And so much of our healthcare systems all around the world are really based on acute care, which Absolutely. I call, you know, downstream. Yeah. We're doing so much better if we invested more in prevention. And then, you know, related to that, we're just not very good at organizing in times of crisis. So, you know, everyone's making lots of efforts to try to address the problems in India right now, but, you know, they're disjointed and haphazard. And you think sometimes if we could have a more coordinated effort, it would be a lot more effective. Right. And we, we are involved, Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, um, are, are involved in, in some activities to help. Um, can you speak to that and maybe specifically, you know, where do nurses fit in? Yeah, sure. So, you know, Johns Hopkins has had uh, a deep relationship with uh, lots of institutes in, 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 you know, all over India. And so I think there's a real deep commitment among a lot of the uh, faculty and students here who are extremely um, concerned about the situation. Mm -hmm. And there's a recently um, developed Johns Hopkins India Institute, which was really developed to be furthering our partnerships and deepening those. But once this crisis occurred, uh, the Institute has really pivoted and has fully focused now on doing what it can to um, help, help out. And I'm representing Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, representing the voice of nursing and bringing back what's being discussed and to the School of Nursing and for all of us to be contributing as we can. Mm -hmm. And this is in several different forms, you know, big important um, approaches in advocacy, both writing, writing letters to the government, you know, a big emphasis has been wanting on vaccine equity, trying to get act vaccines that are widely available in the U.S. now, mm -hmm. trying to get vaccines elsewhere. And India, obviously, is a priority. And now the surrounding countries like Nepal, where we're seeing COVID. Okay. But advocacy is, is, is a huge, and, and also on social media and just raising awareness about, about these issues. Um, nurses also, um, we have been fundraising and um, donating, uh, try putting resources towards the uh, purchasing of equipment and other resources that are lacking in India right now. And the nurses have been contributing to developing clinical guidelines and we're posting these on a website. So they're available as a resource 
a lot of people in India right now are being forced into uh, clinical care for COVID without really having any background. And they're mm -hmm. trying to mobilize as much of the healthcare workforce as they can. And there mm -hmm. are students who are being put into the position of having to provide care to COVID patients and they really haven't had experience. So we're trying to pull together some guidelines and resources that would be available. And probably one of the most important things that we've been doing is finding out that nurses and other healthcare providers are under inordinate uh, mental health strain because of the situations they're being put into, feeling really underprepared for the situations. And the stress is enormous, both because it's sometimes of the lack of resources available in the healthcare setting. And if there's not oxygen available, the nurses are literally at the bedside having to watch patients essentially suffocate because they can't get adequate oxygen to them, as well as their worries then about going home, about being infectious to their family with this you know, serious problem. So there's just lots of sources of stress. So we've started to partner with one of the um, excellent schools of nursing in India, uh, CMC Valor. And one of our faculty has a graduate from there and we, they have a World Health Organization collaborating center. So we work with them. Anyway, we're partnering with them to de develop a series of seminars that will be available uh, to nurses. So those are- That's uh, really wonderful. Yeah, that we've been uh, working on as rapidly as we can. So one, one final question, Nancy. What about global health does this crisis reveal to us? You know, I think in a really profound way, we knew there were health inequities around the world, but COVID has really, really highlighted yes. health inequities on so many levels mm -hmm. in, you know, in just a profound way. And as I mentioned before, inadequate emphasis on prevention globally and our poorly coordinated emergency response. And probably the biggest message is really no one's safe until everyone's safe. And we're sort of breathing a sigh of relief in the US, the mask, you know, we're right. thinking we're through the woods, but we're not necessarily, we really need to make sure that this problem is dealt with on a global yeah. level. Great points, Nancy. Thank you for this incredible insights that, uh, that you've provided. This is something we really need to focus our efforts on, and we hope that the situation in, in India will soon be improving. For our listeners, please remember that the vaccines are safe and effective, and as soon as you are eligible, you should be sure to get vaccinated. Thank you again, Nancy, for discussing this important topic and for being with us on the show oh, today. This was my pleasure, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. Be sure to also check out our On the Pulse blog and Facebook Live series. You can learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening.